I said this morning, I have a lot to say and a little time to say it. I uh, practiced this morning, or no, last night, and it took me an hour and three minutes, so I hope you don't plan on going anywhere soon. (laughs) I'm going to start right away with a story that I read. I was on a train ride this summer, and that will be another message, but on that train trip, I read this story, and I want to share it with you. A young man was dating a young woman. She was attractive, healthy, organized, a gourmet cook, great with children, and best of all, a delightful personality. He's in love, and he decides she's the one that he'd like to spend the rest of his life with. He creates a special moment. He kneels down on one knee, opens a small box to reveal a sparkling diamond ring, and he proposes to her. This is your Hallmark movie, ladies. Much to the man's delight, the young man breaks out in a huge smile, lets out a shriek of joy, bursts into tears, and after gaining a little composure, excitedly responds, yes, 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 I can't believe this. I'm so shocked and overwhelmed. This is the happiest day of my life. I love you so much. Yes, I will marry you. They embrace each other in sheer bliss, and with emotions still running high, she looks into his eyes and passionately promises, we'll have such a great life. I'll be the best wife. I'll create a beautiful home. I'll keep it spotless. I'll make delicious meals for you and the kids. I'll stay healthy. I'll dress fashionably. And I'll make beautiful love to you anytime you desire. This should have been the red flag right there. (laughs) The young man thinks to himself, wow, amazing. I have to be the most fortunate guy alive. She then makes one more attention-grabbing statement. Of course... There are other boys that I still like, so I may date them periodically. Stunned, the young man stammers, that's not going to work. Why not, honey? He's dumbfounded. The special moment is ruined. The ecstasy is gone. His mind is racing. Could she be joking? But why joke about something like this, especially after I've just proposed? After an awkward silence, which seemed like eternity, she tries to recapture the mood by enthusiastically offering a compromise. Okay, how about if I just spend one day a year with my other boyfriends? I'll give myself exclusively to you for 364 days. Just give me one day with them. The young man can't believe what he's hearing. It's obvious she's not pulling his leg. She's serious. So he again replies, no, that's, that doesn't work either. She's puzzled. But because she loves him so much, she offers an even better deal. Okay, what about four hours a year? Give me four hours every calendar year to spend with my other boyfriends. No, the young man says. Again, she counters, well, how about, how about 20 minutes a year? Just give me one good fling with another boyfriend. No. In hopes of bringing resolution, she pleads, honey, I do love you. In fact, I'm crazy about you. I love you more than any other man, but I have this need. I just have to be with other guys. I simply can't be a one-man woman. I sincerely desire to be loyal to you, and I know it's the proper thing to walk away from all other relationships, but let's be real. There are so many great guys, and I love their attention. Why should I have to give this up? Why can't I have both? The young man is so disappointed that this time he doesn't even answer. He just hangs his head. After a few awkward moments, she shortly states, I just have to be honest. I think you're asking too much. I want to enjoy a full life. The young man has heard enough. This is preposterous. We're not getting married. In fact, I'm through dating you. 
and he walks away. We wouldn't watch a movie like this. This is the opposite of a Hallmark movie. It starts out great and it ends horrible. And I don't know what you feel after hearing that story, but I know how I felt and I was like, oh, are you kidding? This can't be real. There's no way that a healthy person would enter into any relationship like this. No one in their right mind would consider, okay, yeah, that seems like a pretty good plan. But we do this same thing all the time. You see, we love Jesus, and we want what Jesus can give us. He gives us assurance of salvation, and he gives us hope. He promises love, he promises care. He promises all these things, and these things we want, but we are also attracted to the things of the world. And we're asking ourselves, well, why not? Why can't I enjoy this? Why can't I enjoy what the world has to give me, what the world offers? Why can't I, why can't I have a part in this, but still love you, Jesus? And the reality is it's because of the same relationship that it is with this woman and this man. Jesus doesn't want to share us, but we think it's okay. I have, I have my, my, my church life, I have my Jesus life, and I have my work life. I have my home life, and I have my hobbies, I have my things. And every time I hear someone say, but you know, my, my relationship with Jesus is good, my life there is good, my life at home is good, my life at work is good, and I'm always asking myself, how many lives do they have? How many lives do we have? We have one life, but we tend to take this thing, we tend to divide up our life that this is my Jesus time, and this is my family time, and this is my work time, and this is my fill in the blank. And we divide our hearts, and we're devoted, we have our devotion in all these other places. And as much as that story makes you feel sick, you have to put your place, your, your, yourself in this situation, the place of that woman. We like what the world can give us. Financial gain and homes and vacations and position and power and pleasures that we get to do things our way and not live by what we feel are stringent rules. Enjoying those things. And let me say this, enjoying the things of the world is not wrong. We have the awesome privilege of living in America. We have a lot of things around us. It caters to us, and it's all about pleasure. It's all about get what you can while you can, when, get what you want, all that you have. This commercial says, it's my money, and I want it now. We have this, it's a I moment, me moment. I want everything that I can get right here, right now. But I do want to say this, vacations and having money more than just paying the bills and going on vacation and having a house and having a car, all those things are not wrong unless they go against God's design and his purpose. Where it becomes a problem is when those things begin to draw our attention away from God and we begin to devote ourselves to that. When material things and people and positions begin to occupy and control our time, energy, and devotion, that is when it becomes a problem. You see, here's what happens. We begin to get involved in the things of the world and the things that it offers. And again, it's not wrong until it begins to draw us away from what God is calling us to and what he has for us. And pretty soon, if we're gonna live in this realm, if we're gonna, we're gonna be in this position, then what happens is, this is gonna get pretty scary, by the way. <laughs> I'm gonna have to make a decision at this point. I'm either gonna be fully devoted to the world or I'm gonna be fully devoted to God because it's very uncomfortable in this position. 
And to go any further in a relationship with God or into the world, there's a decision that has to be made. Again, God's not against the things that we get to enjoy in our life. But when it pulls us away from what God intends for us and it becomes a devoted thing, we're no better off than the woman who says, just give me one day to do my thing. Just give me four hours. How about 20 minutes? And God's like, no, I want it all. I want everything. If you keep climbing on the wall on on the side of the world, it'll end and lead to emptiness. Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. This is God's, these are, this are God's words to us. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we have this decision every single day, especially this morning, but every day past here. Will you be drawn away by the devoted things and the things of the world and the things that it has to offer? Will you be pulled in that direction away from the things that God has you? Or will you commit yourself to God, not partially, not 90%, not 95%, not 98%. Will you commit yourself fully to God? And in doing so, there are promises galore in the scriptures that you get. But you have to decide. You must choose. I must choose. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 30. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will, re- will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This is one of the most painful stories or pictures in the Bible because you read this and you He gets all the information that he wants, what he's looking for, and yet he walks away. See, here's what we know about this man. He is rich, he is young, and he's a ruler. We don't know how he became rich, whether it was handed down, he made a good business decision, we have no idea. And we don't know what he really does, what he's the ruler of, why he has this um, fame and fortune and all of that. We We don't know any of that. But we do know this. If you are rich 
and have a position in those days, people looked at you as if the hand of God was on your life. They thought, oh, this is a good person. They have the blessing of God. They have the favor of God. It's all over them. And they likened it to people like Abraham, David, Solomon, uh, and the list Job, all these people who were followers of God and they had all of these blessings. And so they would see someone who had this status and this money and think, ah, oh, the hand of God is on their life. And they would walk around and they would think, hey, I've got, I have favor. So he had money in his youth. He had property and it gave him position. But something was missing that money or age or status couldn't give him. And so we find that he came running and fell at Jesus' feet. This is another thing that just amazes me. The other two gospels, this is in Matthew and in Luke, they don't, they don't actually um, say anything about how he got there or if Jesus met him or he, it just says there was this man. But Mark specifies this man came running to him and fell at his feet. Now, if you are a person of status and you have money, this isn't what you do. I mean, I always had this picture and I've, I've, I've read it before. It's like people, we tend to think that this guy had, had it all, so he has this beautiful you know, Lamborghini-style chariot with these incredible wheels on it, and he's got these Clydesdale horses, and he's got this entourage that's, that works with him. They open his door, and they put down the steps, and they roll out the carpet, and they lead him to Jesus, protecting him. But that's not what happened. This man ran to Jesus and fell at his feet, humbled himself in front of everybody, this man of status and had wealth, and he humbled himself in front of Jesus because he had a question. He says, good teacher. And Jesus, Jesus answers his question with a question, why do you call me good? And Jesus knows right away what's, what's happening in this moment. He's like, okay, I got this. You think you're good. And so he just begins to start this. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God himself. You think the next line, at least in my, my mind's eye, the next line should be, you are right in calling me good. He doesn't say that. But standing before, he is right. He is good. Good teacher. He's about to expose this man who thinks he's good and he's on the right track and begin to show him his life and what he's really devoted to. He says, what must I do? In Matthew, it says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He wanted this list Give me a list of things that I can do to make sure that I go to heaven. Give me this list that I can check off. Do this, do this, do this. This weekend, we're at our uh, staff retreat. And interesting enough, many on our staff are checklist people. We like lists. We like to have a checklist, and we like even more to check that off. We just want check, done, done, done. And several of us are like, I did this. It wasn't on my checklist, but I'm putting it on my checklist so I can check it off. Well, I don't know why we're wired that way, but we like checklists. This man wants a checklist. Jesus, give me, give me the next steps that I need to do so I can check it off. So Jesus gives him what he wants, a checklist. He says, you know the commandments. And this is interesting. He doesn't say, do you know the, the commandments? He says, you know the commandments. Because in Jewish culture, every boy, by the time they are 12, they know the first five books of the Bible. So he doesn't even question if he knows them. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
He gives them a list. Here, here's your checklist. See if you can check these off. And here's what's interesting as well. He gives him the commandments, but he starts at commandment number six and goes down and comes back up. He gives him, he gives him only part of the commandments. He says, here, let's, let's, let's really see if you're good. You can check this off. He's, he thinks he's good. He's looking for something else that he can do to get into heaven. We have our checklist, don't we? Make sure we read our Bible and do our devotions. Make sure we're here on Sunday morning. We're involved in what we can. Make sure we're living a godly lifestyle. We don't swear. We don't do all these things. We have a little checklist that I got to do. Make sure. And those things are all good. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're called to be in community, be together. We're called to, to read, our, read the Bible. We're called to do all of that. But it's more than just about a checklist. It's about a relationship. And not just with people, but with God himself. God is looking for relationship. And he's looking at this man, and he's like, here, I'm going to give you this list, but I'm going to draw out of you what you think is good. I'm going to pull out of you and show you what is really going on. So he says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Do you ever just put words in Jesus's, like, his story? I would have been like, oh, buddy, let me show you. Let me show, show you how good you are not. He didn't do that. Lee Atwater, said to be the man most responsible for electing George Bush president in 1988. In 1991, he's 39 years old. He was on top of the world. Then out of nowhere, he develops this massive brain tumor. He was treated, and instead of getting better, he got worse. And shortly before he died, Life magazine published an article in which he evaluated his life in light of this terminal disease. He said this, the 80s were about requiring, acquiring, acquiring great wealth and power and prestige. I know. I acquired more wealth, power, and prestige than most. But you can acquire all you want and still feel empty. What power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? What price wouldn't I pay for an evening with a friend? It took a deadly illness to put me eye to eye with that truth. You see, wealth and power and prestige and fame, what's next? When you acquire all these things, you end up empty. You're lost, and you're like this man, and you're wondering, what else? What's next? What do I get? And that feeling of emptiness will never be filled because it's only found in Jesus. And he begins to take the things away that don't, aren't necessary and that don't belong there. And as we grow in our relationship with him, as we give our all to him, we begin to find we have more peace, and we have more joy. We feel his presence we hear his voice. And as we climb this ladder, as we get to know him more, here's what happens. Jesus comes closer. When, you're, when we're over here, oops, <laughs> we fall. When we're pursuing this, Jesus pulls away. He's still there. He's still, he's still knocking. He's still a part of us. He wants it, but we're distant from him. You know what? When I counsel with people and they're like, I, I don't hear God. I don't hear him speaking to me. I don't, but then they tell me what they're doing in their life, and I'm like, you can't, you can't have both. It, it doesn't work. You can't hear because you're not near. Oh, that's, that's a good title, by the way. <laughs> in order to hear God, you have to be close. Wealth, power, and prestige will, will leave you empty and wanting more. And the rich young ruler knew this. He wanted something more. What must I do? 
to gain eternal life. And Jesus gives them these requirements to show him and really to ultimately show us that we're not good enough. And he's preparing this man to see his true heart, his real self. Is there anything else? And Jesus says, yeah, one thing you lack. Go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And Jesus tells him the one thing that he knows that he is trusting in to show him and ultimately, again, ultimately us, that eternity is something that we cannot earn. You can't just check it off your list. You can't just do X, Y, and Z and be okay. There's, it's far greater than that. It's more about letting go and following him. It's about letting go and trusting him. It's about giving up some things so that we can give him more. Jesus loved the man, and that's why he told him, go, sell everything. He knew the young man was in earnest and sincere. He knew he truly wanted eternal life. Those Jesus knew, but he also knew that his wealth was holding him back. And just like the guy in the story, he wasn't willing to just have most of his girlfriend be his wife. He wanted everything. It's all or nothing. One thing you lack, and then he gives him four things to do. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come, follow me. This man's like, can I buy something? Can I do something? Can I give something? And Jesus says, yes, give everything. Sell out. Jesus is going after idols. He's going after idols in this man's life. He's coming after idols in our life. He's, he wants a bride that's all his. He's gonna do what we allow him to do to come in and reveal those idols in our life and to bring those to the surface so that we then have a decision to make. Will I let go of that and follow him or will I hold on to that? Because that gives me what I want. So he draws his man's attention back to the 10 commandments. See, these 10 commandments are heart issues. No other gods, no idols. Don't take God's name in vain or lightly and keep the Sabbath. This is all about heart. This is all about vertical relationship. See, he addressed the horizontal part because the first, the bottom six are all about your neighbor. It's all about people around you. But now Jesus is going after his heart. What about this? No other gods, no idols, nothing in the way. Jesus looked at him, and I love this because Mark says he loved him. He shows him his error. You think you're good. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Go do these things. What are your idols? Idols are anything that come before God, anything that you don't want God to mess with. It can be relationships. It can be your financial security, your family. It can be your friend group. Maybe it's power and fame. Maybe it's your addiction. But what is your idol this morning? Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life with me, I want you to get rid of that, let go of it, give that to me, let it go. He says in Matthew 14, 26, what good is it to have all of that in this life and then forfeit your soul? Following Jesus will cost you something, but not following Jesus will cost you everything. Jesus came to be in a committed relationship with us. That's his design, it's his desire. It's his desire to be in relationship with us, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, including you. His one desire is to be in relationship with us. But he wants a committed relationship. He's fully in, he's already proven, he's all in. He wants that same for us. To enter into relationship with God means you have to give yourself 
entirely to him, which includes getting rid of some things. Being a pastor on staff here and working with teenagers and we have young adults as our leaders and I get to do weddings and I love weddings. Everything about a wedding excites me. I love the pre-marriage counseling. I like sitting in with, these, with this, this guy and this girl and discussing life and talking through things and things that, you know, from the past and in the future and what their expectations are and finances and communication. I love all of that. And then I love standing before them on their wedding day and as they share their vows and they do all this stuff together as they are bringing their lives together. And almost every wedding, there is this line where they say to each other, I'm forsaking all others and committing myself to you. This is what Jesus wants from us, to forsake all other things and commit ourselves to him. Paul says in Ephesians 5, a man leaves his mother and father and to get married and he become, they become one person and he becomes like one person with his wife. This is a great mystery, but I understand it to mean Christ and his church. Paul uses this to instruct a husband and wife in their marriage relationship, but it also illustrates our relationship with Jesus. This is the, the groom. He's coming for his bride. We are his bride, and he's asking, are you all in? Are you committed to this relationship? I'm coming for a bride that is not interested and not, dis- not interested in the other things, not distracted by other things who's devoted to me. That's who he's coming for. There's a scripture in Matthew 2, and I, I think it's in chapter 7, but Jesus tells this story that, that he's, people are coming for him. We've prophesied in your name. We've healed in your name. We've done all this stuff in your name. And he says, away from me. I never knew you. You, you desired other things as well. I don't play like that. We wouldn't play like that. Why would we expect God? We're not getting into a relationship like that. And all Jesus is asking is, for commitment and devotion. James, he's a little harsher. I like James. James 4.4, 4, he just says it like it is. You adulterer. <laughs> Have you ever? <laughs> I mean, I've read this a lot of times. I never thought he was talking to me. I'm like, yeah, he's talking to, th- he's talking to these people. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. You adulterer. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. This is to express how important this is. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. We do that. No one can commit adultery for you. You do that. I do that. I decide I'm going to walk away from the things of God. I I decide to walk away and enjoy the pleasures of the world. No one else does that. So James just calls it out. He says that our love for the world and our love for Jesus do not mix. He's calling them out. He's calling us out of our adulterous lifestyle. We cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the word. The definition of adultery is someone who has made a covenant with one person, violates that covenant, and seeks out a relationship with another. And we just think that that's person to person. But that can be anything in the world that draws us away. It can be, it can be a house. If the thing that draws our attention away from God and trusting in God and believing that he's going to take care of us, anything that we covet, anything that we want more than Jesus or even the same as Jesus is committing our lifestyle. It's turning our back on him. To live, to live in this realm is dangerous. 
To have two ladders on this stage is actually dangerous. <laughs> this morning, God is asking us for a commitment. He's presenting us with a ring and a relationship, but it's on his terms, not ours. Actually, it's just on moral terms. Will you commit yourself to me? This means we give our complete allegiance and obedience. It means we embrace his will and desires over our own. So my question this morning for you, I don't want you to answer it out loud. I don't want you to raise your hand or stand up, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you pursuing Jesus just as a means to get into heaven? As a thing to check off your list? Are you willing to make him Lord over your life? To give him your all? To make him your husband? The rich young ruler's money wasn't the issue. Jesus didn't care about how rich he was. He knew he wanted eternal life. But he wanted it on his terms, his way. Show me something that I can do. And Jesus knew that his wealth was the thing that was holding his back because he was full of attractions and distractions. He was devoted what he had, devoted to what he had. He liked what his money could get him, the status that it provided, what he could do with it instead of giving it up and following Jesus. So he's unwilling to let go of some material things and he walked away from the one who could give him eternal life. The one thing that he asked for he turned his back and walked away. And he had no idea who he was walking away from. The creator of all things is standing before him and he's inviting him to let go of a few material things to follow him and enjoy eternity with him. And he could have simply let go. He could have followed Jesus. And I like to think if he had done that, we might know his name today. If he had done that, maybe he would have been one of the disciples and we'd be reading one of his books in our Bible. Or we'd be reading about him and the things that he did for the kingdom of God. But he turned away. He walked away. And Jesus let him go because he loved him. All we know about this man is he was rich, young, and a ruler. Today, he's not rich, nor young, and he's not ruling anything. Our only hope, and what I believe is Jesus' hope, is he walked away and he contemplated this isn't worth it. And he began to follow Jesus. Who knows? He could be in heaven today. We don't know. This is what we do know. He walked away in that moment. The French philosopher Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of every person. If you don't fill that vacuum with God, you will fill it with something else. And when you do, you will find out what the rich young man found out years ago. You can have it all, but it's still not enough. The next verse in our passage says, and Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed. Some versions say they were astonished at his words, but Jesus again said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God says it'd be easier for a camel to go through an ideal. Can this be done? Absolutely not. That's what he's trying to say. You cannot get into heaven the way you think you can get into heaven. That was his point. It's not wealth that's the problem. Our attachment to it is the problem. Jesus' disciples were horrified when they heard this. Wait, if this guy isn't good, if what he's doing isn't good, if he can't make it into heaven, what about us? How do we get into heaven? 
And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The point is that no one can achieve salvation through their own efforts. It's from God alone, by his grace. It's impossible man's way. Not riches and not age and not status. No one's good enough to get into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us of this. It's not by our works. It's not by anything that we can do. It's his gift. Jesus provides the way. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything else we see, a pride and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This theme is all throughout scripture. It's this warning, don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into status. Don't fall into riches and and going after the things that will lead to emptiness. Don't get caught up in stuff that is meaningless because it leads, it's all going away. But anyone who does what pleases God lives forever. Again, this isn't about wealthy people can't be saved. It's not about that. It's about No one can be saved through money or skills or talents and intellect, good looks. It doesn't, the list goes on and on. The story ends with Peter asking the question because Peter always asks the question. Peter's the one who's always opening his mouth and I actually believe that the other disciples know that Peter will open his mouth and so I'm pretty sure most of the time they're like, hey, Peter, you ask him. (laughs) You do this. And Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yeah, no one who has left their home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. The disciples are They really, this man walks away and the disciples are like, but what about us? Do we have eternal eternal life? And he tells them exactly how. Give up, anyone who's given up all of this stuff, all the material things, gotten rid of all this stuff, I'll give them so much more in this life and the life to come. I want you to notice he never chased after the man when he turned away. He never ran up to him and said, whoa, 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 buddy, wait, 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 wait. Here's the deal. Give all of that stuff up. Let go of all of that. Go, just go do what I said. Come back. I'm going to give you so much more. It'll be so much better. You're going to have a lot more here, and you're going to spend eternity with me. It's going to be great. He doesn't use persuasion, and he doesn't use bribery. He doesn't use anything for that man because he's going after his heart. Again, it's relationship. If you have to work hard at any physical relationship to get them to like you or love you or want to marry you, stop. It won't work. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to do anything to cause you to come follow me. I'm just going to ask you to come follow me. It's all about relationship. Honesty. I'm willing to let go of everything else and come and follow you. So he tells his disciples exactly 
And here we get the front end picture. He doesn't chase this man and tell him what he needs to do. But the disciples ask him because they're fully committed. They're already devoted. They've been following him. And so he says, yeah, this is what you need to do. And we get a front row seat and we know what to do. Jesus has told us, here's what we need to do to spend eternity with him. Let go of everything else. Let go of your security blanket. Let it go and come follow me. Trust me. I'll take care of you. He says that he'll take care of the sparrows. How much more important are we than them? He takes care of us, but we have to trust him.